Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for news, reviews, and playthroughs. And today... I am Peter. I'm always Peter. But today, we're going to be talking about... You Peter. Yes. Keep the heroes out. And I'm here with Mike. What's up, Mike? Hey, Peter. Wow. That was very formal of you, Mike. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today on this show called Wake Up, Mike! <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, my, my youngest had like a stomach bug uh, the last few days. I actually stayed home from work today to help take care of him. So... We're all good. Everything's fine here now. <laughs> We're all fine here. Everything's fine. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Move How along. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got Matthew, Matthew Rose in the chat says, hey, Peter and Mike, first time here. So welcome, Matthew. Great to have you here joining us. So for those of you on the podcast who don't know, we do record this live on our One Stop Co-op Shop streamed channel. So come join us there so you can be part of the conversation as we review games live. Right, Mike? That's right. And yeah, Peter didn't say, but besides Keep the Heroes Out, uh, which is a cooperative and solo deck builder, we'll be talking about an aspect of deck building games, which is uh, kind of like the economy of how you buy your cards in deck building games. And some ways we prefer to see that or not see that. So it should be fun. Well, yeah, because deck building used to just be like Dominion, right? Where it was just pay for cards with cards in your hand. There got to be money cards. And even when Ascension took over, it kind of adopted that same mentality. But Keep the Heroes Out and a lot of other games have innovated on that since those days of the beginning. So we'll talk about some of our favorites and uh, different ways to do it. But so- first, let's thank some of our amazing Patreon supporters. So if you don't know, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Very creative URL there. And uh, <laughs> we have uh, a lot of cool stuff there. We give previews of our main channel uh, videos on there about a week ahead of time. And then also uh, I do... Or with Peter, we did one of the last uh, month. What we do, Peter? It was Ostworn versus Aeon Trespass, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, so we do bonus videos over there that you can't see anywhere else. Uh, at this point, since we're doing two a month, gosh, we've got like 30, 40. Uh, there's a lot of them. So yeah, if you become a patron, there's a lot of content for you to uh, go and check out that is only available there. So yeah, definitely very much appreciate it. And uh, to call out a few specific patrons this month, John Albertson, Michael D., Rachel Brown, Mr. Snake 365, and Vlad Kalinovich. John, Michael, Rachel, Mr. and Vlad, <laughs> thank you so much for all of your support. And thanks to everybody who subscribed to the channel, who subscribes to this podcast, who has rated the podcast, who's on our Discord, just anyone who's kind of uh, joined our cool co op community here. Yeah, no, thanks. So I've been playing some fun games lately, mostly. Me too. Aeon Trespass Odyssey <laughs> since our last review. <laughs> if we reviewed it now, I'd probably have more positive things to say about it, even though we were pretty positive last week or two weeks ago as well. But my son absolutely loves this game. It's certainly his number one game of all time. Um, oh my gosh, that's great. Oh yeah, no, no. He keeps making me play it. He's like, yeah, it's better than that Osworn game. So he probably <laughs> should have been on the podcast with you uh, <laughs> for the uh, Osworn versus Aeon Trespass Odyssey. But the one thing that didn't stick out to me when we did the review last time that has stuck out to me since then, and it's a comment that you made, and I don't remember if you made it on the podcast or not, I don't think so, but you're like, it's one of those just one more turn games. Because 
every action's kind of a micro action. When you're doing combat, a round takes like a minute for all four characters to go and then like a minute for the enemy activation. And then it's back to you. Same thing with the between the town stuff, except for the reading part, which we kind of, you know, <laughs> talked about at nauseum last time. Everything you're doing is really sources on it. And then just move on. If you want to build something, it's not overly complicated how to do any of the things in the game. So it is just, oh, let me just craft one item before I go to bed. Let me just do this. Oh, I got this new item. I want to try it out in combat. Let me do a round of combat. And then you do two rounds and then three rounds. So I do think it has that kind of popcorn feel to it, which I don't know if I appreciated as much when we did the full review last time. You know, I, I totally agree. I mean, that's why I stayed up until 3 a.m. playing it <laughs> <laughs> one night before I uh, let you borrow it. So, yeah, it's it's very it's very addictive. I feel like Oathsworn's easier to stop because the battles are a little bit longer, a yep. little bit like bigger and more unique. And you've already done like a really long narrative section if you do the full narrative. So that feels like a more natural stopping point. But yeah, on Trespass, I'm like, well, oh, I just got all this stuff. I can craft stuff with it right now. You know what I mean? Like you kind of immediately have fun things to do. And you know, you're about to, you're always about to get another tech. You know what I mean? Like you're always every day or two, you're unlocking a new tech tree thing. So now I, I'm with you. I'm glad you all are enjoying it. I'm glad you're getting to play with your son a lot. That, that's yeah. actually, uh, I, I don't sorry, think my opinion has changed overall, though. I still think everything I said holds true. But his love for it has certainly, you know how this goes, increased my enjoyment of it, for sure. Well, I, I didn't get the feeling in the review that you weren't enjoying it. Oh, no, no, no. enjoying it as much as Oathsworn, necessarily, but that's fine. <laughs> Although, ironically, I play it way more than Oathsworn, so there's that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've been playing with my sons, well, mainly my oldest, my youngest still. He's seven now, so I was playing games with uh, Harrison, my oldest, before that. But he's just not into board games very often. But yeah, uh, I'll go through uh, three quick ones that I've all. I've been playing a lot of Keep the Heroes out with my son, eldest Tiwanaku, which I am uh, going to do a video of. I'm probably going to record it tomorrow, so it'll probably be out like in a couple of weeks. That's a. I think it's. I think backers are getting deliveries in the U.S. very soon, and it's been delivering around the world. Uh, this it was previously called Pachamama, I think. Uh, um, what are you doing to your mama? That, that's, <laughs> you better not be uh, punching my mama. That's all I know. Pretty sure it's a South American goddess, Peter. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, didn't um, mean to offend anybody out there. No, but. no, it's all good. <laughs> but uh, it's a uh, it's a deduction game. It's I, I compare it a lot to Sudoku in that uh, you've got like a few spaces filled in on this board, and you're trying to figure out which numbers and uh, like terrain types fill out the rest of the board. But there's like a pawn movement aspect to it to like get to the places. You're kind of like racing to get to places, but then trying to make these, you know, logical kind of deductions to solve things and get victory points from it. So I haven't played it cooperative yet. There's a cooperative mode. It's a little bit more complicated than the others. Yep. But my son and I played it competitive and it was great. And I played it solo and it was a lot of fun. So I really love these like uh, deduction games recently. This one seems good too, but more to come <laughs> once I actually play it co-op. Uh, but then literally today... Today, got uh, two co-op games in that I just wanted to call out real quick. So first one I played with my wife. It was on sale at uh, Amazon, and I'm going to play with my kids, too. So we, we've been watching The Princess Bride recently. Oh, Great best movie, movie ever, by the way. My number Absolutely. one. Absolutely, love it. And there is a Ravensburger from like two years ago or three years ago, Princess Bride Adventure Book game. I think they did another one. There's going to be a third in the series. Uh, maybe like Wizard of Oz was the second one, I think. So it's a very light kind of card-based game that sort of plays through the movie in six chapters. You're like moving around miniatures of the characters. But like, it's not really like you playing against the enemies. Well, in some scenarios, it sort of is. 
but mostly it's like you trying to make the events that were supposed to happen in the story happen <laughs> before uh, your grandson gets bored. So kind of like if you're if you're playing anybody, you're really playing like Peter Falk, the grandfather, telling the story it. of the Princess Bride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's very light. I don't know if I'll ever cover it on the channel, but my, my wife had fun and I had fun playing with her. You know, like the game was was pretty cool. And the first scenario is just Wesley doing chores while he's trying to declare his love to Buttercup. <laughs> so nice. Uh, lo looking at the other like chapters in the book, I'm like, oh man, these seem like they're all going to be better because the next one is uh, you're trying to uh, uh, sail your boat quickly away enough to escape the man in black while also uh, rhyming with Fezzik while also rescuing Buttercup from the screeching eels. And then you're climbing the cliffs of insanity. So and you're playing Vincini, and then you're playing Andre the Giant. <laughs> so, like again, you're 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 kind of everybody most of the time. Okay, you're never Humperdinck though. Like whenever Humperdinck shows up, he's always like an automated like enemy doing bad stuff to you. So I appreciate that because yes. you know everyone else, even Vincini, is kind of lovable in his own scurrilous way. Yeah, you know? <laughs> do it your way. What's my <laughs> way? You go behind there. You throw a rock at his head. <laughs> My way is not very sportsmanlike. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so it was fun. Like, we'll, we'll definitely play through all six of the chapters. Uh, I'll definitely play with my kids. Like, we'll see how much they enjoy it. Uh, I might just pass it on after I play through all six. Although, I mean, I like probably it, need to borrow it before you. Yes. Well, pass I, it I was definitely planning to let you borrow it. That, that's without a doubt. But, but the last one, this is the, the last one I'll talk about. Then we can get to uh, whatever you've been playing and keep the heroes out. Guess what I played with Harrison today successfully to completion? That's a bad way to say it. But yes. Marvel United? Spirit Island. Oh, Spirit. Oh, my gosh. Spirit Island, baby. Yeah, so I did a trade with one of our awesome uh, Discord uh, members for Horizons. I think it's called Horizons of Horizons Spirit, Spirit Island. Horizons Spirit Island. Yep. The, the yeah, which is family friendly think, one. Yeah, the fact, like, so it's a family. So for those who don't know, it's, it's a, uh, it is a standalone set. Um, it has five spirits that are all very, you know, beginner friendly. It has a board, which is basically, it's either two islands put together or three islands put together. So I don't know if you can play true solo on it. Like, they don't have the numbers for true solo. Oh, interesting. But whatever. But yeah, and then uh, they've got a bunch of minor and major powers. I'm pretty sure they're all or almost all repeats from the other game's expansion, because I recognize most of them. I got I check, like, every one. And the fear cards might be the same. So it's not necessarily a great value to buy because you're getting tons of redundant components like new invaders and they're they're not the miniatures they're just cardboard tokens um which i guess could be good or bad depending on your taste uh the board's not really like a great thing so really if you're buying it you're buying it for the five extra spirits but what i bought it for is <laughs> this is kind of a funny thing peter you, you know how this is sometimes like when you get so many expansions for a game it becomes like a burden to get it out yep. it's certainly a burden to teach it yep so like I, i'm like i'm just gonna keep this in its box you know this is like easy teach somebody spirit out this is like my play with my kids copy of spirit island but yeah, uh, we we played. Uh, we won. He had a great time. He was looking through the other spirits. He's like, next time we play, next time we play Spirit Island, Peter, yes. I'm going to be no, this no, no. Spirit Daddy. Yep. You know, he wants to play this weekend. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So no, it, it was it was fantastic. And it was fun. Like, uh, he's a bright kid. He's been playing games since he was like four or five. So he, uh, he didn't need much hand-holding. Like, I had have to give suggestions sometimes for like, you know, don't play that card. That's not really going to do much. But besides that, he ran his turn. He resolved his cards. He read everything. Nice. Uh, he put his own invaders down. So he was he was doing his thing. Like it wasn't like I was holding. Are the spirits in general easier? That's really tough to say because we were playing with no adversary. Okay. Base Spirit Island, and we crushed them. But I always crushed them. <laughs> yeah, you know. Sure. Base Spirit Island. Right. Um, the one he had gets <clears throat> plus one damage to every card it plays that does damage. 
Oh. He was wrecking some faces, man. Like, he was burning the invaders out there. Um, That's awesome. But there's lots of great spirits. I mean, well, sure. I, they're all very straightforward. You're not going to not do cool stuff. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, yeah. when you get to modern and advanced spirits, you can totally screw the pooch and just, like, not do anything useful. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that the power level is stronger. I don't, I don't feel qualified to make that judgment after not having paid, played the base game in a while. But it was great. It was fun. So that's the important. And it's completely standalone, which means it's got all the explorers. All you said a Correct. map board. Um, yeah, I mean it has no. It has no events. It has none of like the extra tokens that got added in the expansions. It doesn't even have adversaries. What they said is, if you want to play harder, they have like a single effect that happens when you draw the uh, level two invader cards. That have uh, you know like the little like castle symbol on them and trigger like the unique ability of the invaders. Okay, they have like one unique invader ability, but there's no way to make a difficulty higher than that. <laughs> so, you know, it, but uh, I, why would I ever need to with my son? You know what I mean? Like, well, sure. Had a great time, chicken bun. He doesn't. He doesn't want to make the game harder. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering if it's something that a diehard spirit. I mean, I'm guessing diehard spirit island people are going to get it just for the new spirits. So there's yeah. no overlap there. With the old I mean, yes, yeah, so far I don't, unless I'm wrong, I don't think there's any new cards besides the ones that are unique to those five spirits. And those five spirits are very basic spirits. So even, I don't know. I mean, you know me, I'm not a completionist. I would say to diehard Spirit Island fans, don't get this. But for my exact purposes, I want to play it with my kids and I don't want to get down my double box chock full of crap you know yep. boxes yep. Um, i think it's a great one and remember um, what all the icons do for those little tokens yeah yes. absolutely i i could totally yeah, see no. that all right so we've had quite a bit of chat let's uh go through it really quick so we had matthew rose already we got michael uh newsom saying hello today i am michael hi all uh, although, you know, y- you are the one I am talking to, so uh, we'll-, we'll stick with Mike for you. I mean, I- I'm still Mike, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mortal Wombat says uh, he caught the live podcast. Matthew Rose said he loves Steve and Kim, who are also on the streaming channel, and you also probably yep. have heard them on the podcast as well. And then does a lot of quoting of Princess Bride, which is great. So <laughs> Matthew Rose has now become our uh, one of our top listeners. We uh, certainly, you know, uh, certainly myself anyway he was talking about andre the giant when he missed he said he said i meant to miss or something i believe the words were i don't have to miss <laughs> he said you mean we have to kill each other hand to hand as god in, uh as god intended he goes i think you have a slight advantage there I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing at this point and then yeah, he goes yeah. i don't have to miss <laughs> so uh yes but yeah, he also thought it was cool that you intro- uh, a cool way to play Spirit Island, good to um, introduce, and uh, yeah, kids love the natives. So very cool. So let's get into our review of Keep the Heroes Out, because it's another one that is, speaking of playing with your kids, family friendly, right? Yep. Yeah, I played it with my 10-year-old. I tried to play with my 7-year-old. He, he like stayed for... He was, uh, we made him the dragon and he was there for like five minutes and then he left and we were like, oh, the dragon's not in the game anymore. Bye. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Which actually isn't that hard in this game, you know, because like you're just kind of switching off turns. So he just left and we didn't do that turn anymore and it was fun. <laughs> yeah. So uh, first thing we'll do is quickly go over the theme and then we will go over the mechanics just briefly, just an overview, and then we will get into our five point review. So I will cover the theme 
basically, you are evil dungeon lords trying to keep no, the heroes. No, no, no. If you've read the rule book, well, you're, very, you're very nice. You're very nice. Yes. There's always like a landlord coming in and you're moving to new dungeons. And, like, there's always a story of like what's going on. Uh, cause there, this is a scenario based campaign. So, but the bottom line is you were trying to stop them from getting to your gold room and, uh, kind of capturing your gold room. So that is the basic theme. But yes, there are many scenarios with a lot of different theme and narrative. And we may get into that as we are discussing our five points today. So Mike, why don't you just quickly go over, like, I mean, you could probably just say what the five phases are and would be good. <laughs> sure. Well, I do want to say quickly on the theme. It's a theme that's close to my heart. Um, I've loved sort of the flipping of the like fantasy dungeon trope on its head for a long time. Going back to... Uh, the Dungeon Keeper video games for those who played those back in the day. And then uh, Peter and I designed Dark Dealings, which is literally a similar thing. I mean, very different game than this, but like the same thing where you're playing the bad guys fighting off the good guys. Um, I loved it in Dungeon Lords and Dungeon Pets. And then it's fun here too. So it's, it's a theme that is close to my heart. But uh, the yes, so what you do, you are moving around these uh, square tiles. Uh, like Peter said, the heroes are spawning at the end of each player's turn and moving closer and closer to the treasure room. You're trying to defeat them and throwing them in dungeons and stuff. But uh, your turn plays out with five or more cards in a deck builder style. And the cards will have these icons. They move you around. They attack the uh, heroes at range or in hand-to-hand. They can spawn more of your guys because each of the factions, there's nine factions in the game, has a variable number of units from one to nine. So some of the, like the dragon is just a dragon. Yep. But if you have like slimes or skeletons, there's a bunch of you. The rats you're also, is the one with nine. That's right. The rats have the most. And uh, for deck building, it's a little bit unique, which we'll go into our design discussion later, in that you are like activating rooms to spawn these little cardboard token resources. And then if you move them to a different room, that's how you get uh, cards from the offer. So like you're you're using uh, manipulation and movement on the board instead of in like the cards in your hand to deck build into. And you're just getting better cards that help you defeat the people. That's basically it. I mean, there's, there's other yes. mechanics, but that's kind of the core thing. It's a deck there, builder with board fighting. And, and it's really like a tower defense in a way because your people will stop the heroes from advancing. Like they'll kill you. And if you aren't there, then they'll get closer to the treasure room. So yeah, there's uh, some stuff with that as well. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll cover that in the five points today. Yeah. So I will start with my number five, but if you have never joined us before, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And what we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which we feel is the least important thing, going up to number one, which is the most important. But remember, they're all important or we wouldn't list them. They wouldn't even made the top five. So uh, my number five is... There are a lot of scenarios in this game. There are 20 scenarios that come with this game. Now, the reason it's down here is because while I do think the scenarios make a difference to the gameplay, how you're going to play, I don't think they are the most impactful thing from game to game. Now, certainly as you go on and get to the higher scenarios, they do change things up quite a bit in some of the scenarios. But a lot of times it's just one or two cards that come out that are kind of like events as you're playing through the deck. Because the whole point of the game is to go through the deck of enemy cards. And there are four or four different types of enemies. And you'll put in these special cards that trigger like the scenario event. And while it does make a difference, there are some reasons that it won't make a difference as well, like jailing, and we'll talk like uh, about stuff like that later. But I don't think it's the most impactful part of the game, but it is neat to have these different scenarios. And honestly, the flavor text for these scenarios is freaking awesome. So uh, 
You know me, I'm not a huge fan of reading flavor text. If I played the crew, I wouldn't read the flavor text. But in this one, I thought it was hilarious and like very well written. So for me, um, that was almost the most fun part of playing each scenario was uh, reading, reading out that flavor text. Yeah, I liked all the uh, scenario options as well, although I'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, my number five, maybe it shouldn't be this low, but uh, it's the deck building in the game. Because... Uh, there is a lot of deck building in the game, but it's not necessarily like the thing that stands out the most to me, although it is fun. So this one is a bit of plus and minus. The big plus is what I was already just like kind of going through. I like that the deck building is not like based on buying cards from your hand. It's like based on kind of moving things around like on the board and you can set up these uh, teleporters and if you like put them in the right place, you can deck build certain types of cards very quickly and it is fun to get some very powerful cards in your deck and like really see things ramp up. On the negative side, I don't think like the four types of cards are necessarily like fully balanced. Nope. <laughs> um, they have suggestions for like which cards each faction should go for because the factions have certain cards that like really work for them better and many cards that don't. So I, like when I play the same faction, I tend to buy the same cards. There are very few cards. I don't know. It's like, what is it, Peter? Like 24 cards, 28 cards. Oh, you think that's um, all it is? I thought it was like 50 or 60. I mean, it, it felt like know. a normal size, size deck of playing cards. Um, yeah, so maybe it is closer. To, but yeah, so you'll see them all like pretty quickly. They don't do that many crazy things. But but they don't necessarily need to. It's still fun to deck build. It's fun how you do the deck building. And I'll give the game credit for having a very easy like mitigation option. If you discard one card at the end of your turn, you can clear out as many cards from the like row as you want because there's five available at a time. So I do like a lot about it. I guess this is a mixed like leaning pro. But uh, yeah, I still find like the cards themselves aren't the most exciting. But it's still pretty cool when you get a great one for your like particular faction. Yeah, my number four is deck building. Uh, and I completely agree with you that it is not the most important thing. In fact, the second to last game I played, I did zero deck building. Literally didn't add one card to my deck and my son added one card. Now we're playing on the quote unquote normal difficulty, which means things ramp up pretty quickly. And you're doing a lot of uh, spending a lot of time like putting out fires Honestly, I view the deck building as, well, I got some extra actions to do. I may as well deck build at this point. Yeah. I really don't think the cards are that much better. And in fact, just because your faction decks are, are very unique and your your faction does things very well a lot of times, like, I want to get my faction cards because, like, those cards are almost designed to go together. So I don't yeah. want to, like, really mess up the deck too much. And you keep it nice and small and you go through it pretty quickly. Because there's no, well, there's not a lot of spawning cards. So as your characters die throughout the game, you're going to need to spawn new characters back in. There's not a lot of spawning cards in those. Mm -hmm. There are some that you can deck build into. But if you don't have those in your hand, you're not going to be real happy uh, if all your guys <laughs> get killed off the board. So there are definitely pros to keeping your deck small in this game as well. And I actually don't view it as a deck building game, even though deck building is one of the aspects. Now, the last game we played, my son was the skeletons. And so the way it works is you use these like little pointy finger things. We call them clicks <laughs> for whatever reason to uh, activate a room. And in some room you can spawn bones and, or spawn different items. And in other rooms, you can use those items to buy from this deck in the middle. So my son was the skeletons and he was sitting in the room where you buy pets and pets want bones. So he had quite a few, like 10 plus cards, pets by the end of the game. 
But like I said, some games I won't do it at all. So it depends on how much pressure you seem to be under at the time. So yeah, I, I don't think that is the strongest part of the game by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I think at higher difficulty levels, it's very hard to deck build. And also depending yeah. on how far the rooms are apart as well. Yep. No, I fully agree. All right, so my uh, number four is kind of the hero management and how they advance. And again, I have some pluses and minuses here. Um, I think it is a pretty cool puzzle to try to get coverage of the tiles and like have monsters to take hits where the heroes might be popping. And there is a, you give the game credit, like even though it's, you know, kind of random which heroes come out, there's like 16 hero cards you use every game, four types, four types of rooms they can pop out in. So what I do is I like, kind of put them in piles as uh, they're coming out. And it gives you some predictability of like where they will come and which rooms haven't been hit yet. So you got to go deal with those. So I do appreciate that, like in the random side. But uh, on the negative side, the game can definitely cascade to disaster very quickly. And that, that's, you know, for some people, that might be a feature, not a bug. Like maybe it's more exciting that way or tense. But for me, like when things were going well and I had like a one quarter chance of drawing the exact wrong hero and that hero activated these heroes, which activated these heroes, because heroes like if you don't kill them, they like stay on the board and then they can be woken up by other heroes. And then they happen to get the exact right treasure chest that like loses you the game. It's, it's not the best feeling for me, especially because the game, you know, the game's not uh, super long, but it's also not incredibly quick. Um, so I've had games where like things were going really well and we got the exact wrong card and things just like kind of snowballed into an immediate loss and it didn't feel great so i I like kind of the puzzle of managing the managing the heroes i think it is pretty interesting but there is also like some frustrating randomness that's hard to get around sometimes and can at least give me a sometimes negative play experience um yeah so my number three is the ai turn is what i called it not just the Mm -hmm. heroes but i guess the entire ai turn which is basically flipping cards and spawning heroes so I agree with you to some degrees that there is some unpredictability and they can de- things can definitely cascade a little bit. But I'll be honest, Mike, and you said this game was very difficult on normal level. I've not lost this game except for the time I played with oh. you, you and Jerry. Uh, we were playing <laughs> well, difficulty. Th- th- there you go. What's the common denominator? Clearly I'm bad at keep the heroes out. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, things can cascade. But first of all, the only thing you have to do is protect the, the final room. So I'll talk a little bit yeah. about the treasure chest. Or is that that's not one of your points, is it? Well, no, that, that was kind of part of the hero points. So. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about it here. So the way it works is you have these treasure chests throughout the board, and the 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 main spot you're in has a treasure chest level of four, meaning if there are ever four heroes there that all can work, that, that aren't active. So basically, the first thing a hero wants to do is kill one of your monsters in that room, and then, you know, you'll lay them down to mark that they're activated. Then they want to get rid of the treasure chest. So you need four unactivated heroes in in the treasure chest room to get rid of it and then the rooms right next to it it's three and then it's two and then it's one so as long as you either keep some people in the treasure chest room i mean they need to have five people come in the room or i guess an archer could come next door and shoot you but we did a pretty good job of keeping the board mostly clear at least Mm. in high danger areas but yes i mean certainly like last game i played and I'm going to get into the enemies and or the heroes in a minute. So, but bottom line is the wizard, if they activate in the jail cell, they can take out your treasure chest right away. But bottom line is it happened right away on turn one. And then I had something else horrible happen on turn one. 
and on a hard game and we still managed to pull it out. So mm-hmm. I think there are things you can do. I think you can put traps in the way. I think you can put your monsters in the way just to prevent losses. You can kind of see it coming for the most yeah. part. Like, cause the most that can spawn usually in one hallway would be two. Now I guess there's times four could spawn, but knowing that you can just keep a couple monsters in that hallway. And then worst case scenario, they're going to kill you. The other thing is once they've activated against a treasure chest, they're typically not going to activate again, unless when you flip over the treasure chest, they do have something that activates them a second time. But typically you don't have that. Usually it doesn't come out. Those are pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We, um, I mean, we've gotten close. Don't get me wrong. We had four heroes in the room and they killed one of our monsters. And like, so, um, there were three of them left, but that wasn't enough to break the chest. And then we just literally went in and murdered them all the next turn. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, uh, the AI turn, the bottom line here is I think it's nice. It's quick. And we had a, a fun time. You know, it, it, it doesn't distract from your turn. It's quick enough to do. And to resolve, they basically come in, they do a special power, there are four different types of heroes, they each do something different, Archer shoots somebody next to him, Wizard does literally nothing unless they're spawned in the jail, the warrior destroys goods that you have, the things that you do for deck building, which typically we didn't have any of those laying around, and the uh, thief will destroy a trap, but only right when he's spawned, and then... Mm -hmm. They will, they'll do their special power and then they will activate in that room. And that's literally all they do. And you're spawning two. And then if you're doing normal level, you do it two twice. So it's pretty straightforward and uh, pretty quick. So for me, that's a huge pro was how the AI turn worked. All right. So my uh, number three is again, kind of a mix. And that's sort of uh, the cooperative experience playing with multiple players. Positive side. I found the co-op pretty good. Um, I liked kind of covering the board. Sometimes we would like bring resources to each other to like allow deck building, putting down teleporters to help each other out. Like there's lots of ways you can kind of work together and help each other out even when, uh, you know, you have your separate turns and everything. And then I think the game, like my negative side of this is not for one or even really two player games, but basically it's downtime. That's kind of the negative of this I only played it a bit three player and it wasn't too bad, but we were also playing pretty quickly. I can't imagine ever wanting to play this game four player personally Um, (laughs) because uh, there's really nothing to do except watch, you know, this is true of a lot of uh, deck builder games, but this game is specifically something that I'll compliment later in the review. You have a lot of choices with your cards more than most deck builders. You know, like a lot of deck builders, your turn just plays itself in a way. You know, like, I got three attack, I got four money. I'm buying that, I'm attacking that, done. In a good way, that is not the case here. But in a bad way, like, especially even two-player, when my son had a few of the factions have a lot of card draw, and then he got even more card draw in his deck build, he would play every card in his deck, plus, like, more cards he had bought. Like, he would play, like, 14 or 15 cards every yep. turn. <laughs> I had, like, seven minutes, I would just be like, all right, hey, did you, don't forget that. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, and like it was still fun. He was doing cool stuff, but I wasn't doing anything during that time. So, yeah, I, I think it's just something to be aware of. The designer does have an official variant uh, that Steve and Kim, I think it was Kim, uh, showed off on the streaming channel where basically two players play as one and they each have fewer cards, but they're kind of like taking a turn together, sort of simultaneous style. I didn't love that. I, I found my turns were kind of dull with so few cards and like combos wouldn't come together. Like Peter was saying for the different factions, 
And even then, if you play three or four player, you're supposed to have like some full players and some partnerships or other partnerships. So it's not actually like a fully simultaneous variant. So it didn't really fix the issue for me. But but I still like the cooperation. Totally happy to play this two player. Not sure I would seek it out for three and four. I'd probably rather play something else than this uh, at the higher player counts personally. But that's that's true of a lot of games for me. So people who have more tolerance for downtime might not mind it at all. Well, and I will also say you get a lot fewer turns because basically the deck, the game is on a timer and the number of cards that are in that timer don't change based on player count. So you're really just taking the same number of turns. And that's what you were saying earlier. It's easy to drop somebody in or out because if you take them out, they just don't do their turn. So it's a player turn, AI turn, player turn, AI turn, except in this co-op variant you were talking about, which is uh, we played it two players and I thought it was fine. I thought it worked fine. A lot of time, you know, you only have three cards, but are I don't know. I don't have this as a point. Do you have the like dungeon as a point? Or, no. Okay, so like, there's this dungeon in here. So you you have a five card hand size. Out of oh, you're talking about like uh, putting putting the heroes in the jails. Put, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, putting. The, I'm sorry, the jail. That's what I meant. Yeah. So you have this action where you're going to put cards in the jail, where you can add a enemy AI card to the jail, which only spawns one enemy. First of all, which is great, and they come in unactive unless it's a wizard who then wakes everybody in the jail up and they break out. But part about that is you also get to draw three cards. So of your 10 cards, you're usually getting eight of those on your turn, which Mm -hmm. leads to what you're talking about, longer turns, things like that. But I do find that even in the co-op variant you were talking about, where you only get three cards, then you get another three cards to split between you. So that's, I mean, you're getting, we usually add, you know, four or five cards on our turns. So it felt like a full turn and I don't know. We we still played it almost not simultaneous, right? Like one person did all their stuff, then the other person, but then the enemy AI would go. So I don't know. It still felt like a satisfying turn for me, even with the the shorter variant. But that was not my point. Mine uh, number two was the monster variety. And honestly, this could have been my number one point. There are nine different groups of monsters in the game. And they are all very different. They all have their own decks of 10 cards that are unique. Now, there's only three types of cards in their deck. So, you know, it might be like the dragon's big one was a move and attack. Then you had another one that spawned or maybe it was attack. Like the spawn ones usually have an either or option. And then he did. I, I forget what the other one was. Oh, and then each of them has their own different click thing too. So that pointy finger, not only can you use it to activate a room, but you can use it to activate your monsters. Some monsters move around, some lay traps, some do all different kinds of stuff. It's amazing what they did with like five icons. You know what I mean? Like on these cards, there aren't that many things, but they all worked very differently and very satisfying. And I didn't feel like any of them were super overpowered or super underpowered. They were all just super fun to play. So I was very impressed with the monster variety in this game. And it's definitely more than the scenario variety. What brought me back to keep playing over and over again. I wanted to play all of them for sure. And then even ones I didn't get to play that my son was playing, I wanted to play with them as well. So yeah, the huge pro for this game and as people in the chat, Matt Levy and Matthew Rosenman saying, they're the cutest little like yeah. meeples <laughs> ever that come with the game. Now, I think that's Kickstarter stuff or an add-on, right, though? No, I don't that's, think so. I think, I think that's the only way the game comes. No, now, the, now, the meeples for the heroes are from an expansion. Oh, okay. All but right. the meeples for the player characters, I think that's the only way you can get it. 
Okay, cool. All right, I didn't realize that. I knew for the enemies it was that way, or the heroes it was that way. I didn't know about the, the monsters. So that's cool. I mean, they're cute, they're chibi, very adorable game. You shouldn't have a hard time getting your kids to sit down and play it. I agree with you, though. I probably wouldn't play it three and four. Three wasn't too bad. Um, it was okay. <laughs> it was okay. I mean, you're going to... Although, um, again, it's kind of faction-dependent. Like, I wouldn't play three with the... I forget which one it is that draws just tons of cards. I think it might be the poltergeist ghost ones or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember. I just remember they walked through walls and we were on a perfect scenario for it. Like where there were, because not every scenario is that useful, but it was very useful on the scenario we were playing. Yeah. Cool. All right. What's your number two? So mine is uh, yeah, the, the variety and like the monsters. I sort of combined it with the scenarios, although I agree with you. Like the scenarios are pretty cool. Like, uh, the map changes a lot and there are some like really goofy and quirky ones in like the latter half of the 20. I just really appreciate all the variety you get there, but certainly the factions are the bigger selling point for me. And I agree with you with just like a few different cards, different numbers on the board is a huge thing, different ways they spawn sometimes. And like they're on their own use of like that little pointy finger click thing. Yeah. I feel like they're very unique. The one thing that I'll, that I have not enjoyed, and it's only a couple of factions that lean into this heavily. Unless I'm playing something wrong. Peter, you tell me. Have you played any of the factions that are defense-focused? Yes. So the slimes are, like, the big one that, you know, defends and then splits. Yep. And then there's uh, the other one that, like, defends and then moves. I forget what they are. Like, the lizard men, I think. I do not find those factions fun at all. And I do not find the defend mechanic fun in a deck builder. Reason being, there's a lot of things that give you card draw. Like Peter said, you're often putting these uh, heroes in jail and getting cards drawn from that. And these cards, when you draw them, are basically dead cards because you're drawing up to five cards at the end of the turn anyway. So getting a card that can only defend during the AI turn was never a good thing for me. And so these decks that are like heavily focused on defense cards and like three or four of their cards are defense cards... I didn't find those like the, the, the slime one was at least cool. Like I like the idea of defending and I get an extra, like instead of losing right. a unit, I get a unit. Like it, it, it was neat, like the theme and execution of it, but it took away so much of like the interesting play of my hand. So I would say like seven out of nine factions, because I think I played them all seven out of nine factions are great for me. Two of them. I'm not sure I, I would personally want to play again, but that's still it's, it's, it's not a super expensive game. It's not a super big game. Seven great factions and 20 scenarios is still, I think, a crazy value for this. So I'd still call it a full or pretty much full pro. Yeah, I'm, I, I half agree with you on the defense not being as fun. Certainly having people on the board, you're not spending those actions as a spawn. So for me, it just like replaced a spawn action, right? Because it's like, well, if my character doesn't die then i don't have to spend an action spawning them well so- well again it's, it's so it's not just the card so for everyone uh listening when you play a card out of turn you like don't have that card back so it's like you only have a four card hand or a three card hand instead of a five card hand it's not that part peter it's the double loss of drawing into that card you know what i mean no no i get that but then I also i've wasted could, one of my three cards you could do there are two things you could do with the card number one you could clear the market with it and we were yes, doing that true, a lot to get to stuff we wanted because sure, sure. honestly the potions were completely i mean you disagree with me on this but we never ever bought a potion i don't think not <laughs> not one time that's um, why you win more maybe that maybe they are uh, well yeah uh, i mean they're <laughs> definitely the like the pets are awesome so we'd yes. always try to draw into pets and the ones that let us lay portals down because not yep. only were they great because they let you lay portals down which lets you move around the board literally wherever there's two portals you can move so you can 
I mean, many games, we had portals on seven or eight of those different tiles, so we could move basically wherever we wanted for one action. So not only were the, the portal part of it great, but they were also the best cards on the other side, too. Yeah. They let you do, like, three things. So, like... No, I, I, think, I think the pets... Uh, yeah, I think there's a major... This is back to, like, the mixed part of my deck building uh, up in number five. I think, like, the the pets, because they give you card draw, so they're never bad. Like, I don't mind ever having a pet in my yep, deck. Yep, because they do one thing and draw a card. Yep. Yep. And then, yeah, like you said, the the scrolls or whatever they are are great. But then uh, the equipment is also very hit or miss because it like it's supposed yes. to be good for factions with a lot of people. But even then, like the times only certain equipment is really consistently usable because it has to all be in a single space. So, yeah, I feel yes. like half of the cards in the deck building is back to an earlier point are like underwhelming and the other half are amazing. And it does kind of same sameify the deck building uh, kind of experience each time I play. But honestly, I'd buy the equipment, the good equipment. Like there were yeah. there was equipment with two two swords on it. I don't oh, care if I'm a dragon. Yes. I'll take that. Like doesn't. <laughs> well, that's matter. what I'm saying. Like there's a few equipment cards that are great, and there are many that are like I'm like even if I'm playing the freaking rats with a hundred people, I'm like I don't know if I'd ever buy that. <laughs> you know? And I don't know that we ever did this, but I'm pretty sure you could also hold on to cards too, right? I don't. Yeah, think you, you can, can yeah, discard. You can. So yeah, so if you drew a defense card, we just hold on to it. I mean, you played eight cards. Right, but on then, the turn then again, cards. I've 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 lost it. Into, I don't know. It's, well, don't I, forget, I, just, I do not like those cards usually let you do something. If you're one of those defensive factions, it's like defend and spawn somebody or defend yes, and move yes, or whatever. So it gives you option. Don't get me wrong. If it's not your play style, it's not your play style. That's the other part of it, right? Like, well, but it's, it's not it's not about play style. It is like wasting player actions. That is don't you, you know, I hate wasting player actions. That's sure. A major thing you hate, too. It, it is it is making you do less on your turn. It is like you drew fewer cards than you actually drew. I just don't, I like, I think it works fine. Like game balance wise, it's fine. I just don't, for, for a game that, as I'm about to talk about my number one point, you know, I was going to my number one point. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go to your number one point? Because I've talked about it. Yeah, lot. so my number one point, full on pro, like not even like the complaints about a couple of factions that I had a second ago. I just love the card play in this game. My favorite deck builders fall into two categories. It's the ones where, like, you actually are doing interesting things with the cards in your hand, like making thoughtful choices with the cards in your hand, which is, like, often the case in Aeon Zen. Like, I don't love everything about Aeon Zen, but that's one of the things I do tend to love. You, like, have choices with, especially with your money in Aeon Zen. Or it's the ones that are super, like, fly by the seat of your pants, like, goofy fun, which is why, uh, you know, like, Warp's Edge is a bag builder and Here's a Tenefer is a deck builder are probably among my top favorite ones because you just get, like, that pure adrenaline rush of increasing strength in a very quick like fun package and this one i would put more on like the thoughtful side but i really enjoy it so because the board play is so interesting because trying to stop the heroes is such like a tense kind of thing because the deck building is such a unique way to do it like grabbing resources and bringing them back because these icons can generally be used in multiple ways and often on multiple parts of the board I just find kind of like the little puzzliness, the choices I make in playing my cards for the turn, super interesting, like way more than yeah. almost, you know, almost any like of these cooperative deck builders I can think of, you know, n- nothing against the legendary where it's like, here's how many attack I have and here, man, here's how much money I have, but I much prefer this kind of thing. And I think it's great fun. And yes, it does go into the downtime thing. Cause when I'm playing out 12 cards and I'm thinking about how to do them all, that's not <laughs> necessarily making any other players at the table happy. But I still find that experience, like, on a personal level playing the game, very exciting. And you're right, Peter. That that is my personal preference, and that is why the defensive factions seem the most boring, because they're actively taking away those choices from me. Sure. Like, except for, like, do I defend here or here? 
there is no choice with the defense. I'm just doing what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Whereas all the other things I think give you really interesting choices. Well, we just had a super chat from Matthew Rose. So Matthew, thank you so much. He says, cool. And then he uh, <laughs> says, you'll have to tell me how the fire comes out of the dragon. I want to burn down my house. Uh, so we have some pictures scrolling by for those of you on the podcast. And there is a picture of the dragon with fire coming from behind it. And that was just somebody's cool effect because, no, that does not happen in the real game. Thankfully. I mean, uh, we don't know. The dragon gets two range attacks with its base card. That, that could be from the front or the back, you know, however I mean, the dragon wants to roll. Yes, yes. I mean, I am. Uh, I have not burned down my house. My, my dragon did not uh, spark fire. Uh, not that I'm aware <laughs> of, anyway. So my number one point is... You you know this. I've called it out a hundred times on a hundred different games we reviewed. The puzzly nature of the game. I love games like this that are just a puzzle. And it has a lot to do with what Mike said. The card play, things like that. I loved thinking about things in multiple ways. Some turns you just don't have enough tax to take care of the enemies. Yep. It's like, okay, how do we block this hallway this turn? Yeah. Can we get traps there? Can we move monsters in the way? What do we have to do to stop them from tearing down your dungeon this turn and trying to get it to the next player's turn who hopefully will have drawn some attack cards between your turn and their turn. So for me, that is the coolest part of it. It was a very visual puzzle, tactical puzzle. That's the words I was looking for. Yeah, I don't know. You know me, I love these tactical games and it was just very cool to like block stuff up. And honestly, you said you were bored on the downtime, but Nick and I were constantly like, hey, why don't you do that? Hey, can you take care of that guy? Like, it wasn't necessarily alpha playing as much as like, oh, don't forget this guy's over here mm, or yeah. we got to block this hallway and, or somebody would be like looking at the monsters while the other person was going, hey, we still need to worry about this place and this place hasn't spawned yet, right? Like, or it's more likely that they're going to come here. So we were constantly like evaluating what the best plays we could do with our cards were. And, and there was a lot of cooperation when we were playing. So I don't know. We did very well, obviously. We we definitely did not lose. Now, we never made it to the higher level dungeons. We uh, I read them all afterward, um, and mm. there was some really cool stuff that was coming up, like you said. But yeah, no, we, we just had a lot of fun with it, and I, I love the tactical puzzliness of it. So two things this reminded me of. Number one, you got Clank, right? Where there's a, a deck yeah. builder with a board. The difference here is you typically had multiple monsters you can control. And I think mm -hmm. that's where that puzzle comes in. I'm kind of getting to my final thoughts here. So I'll, I'll just roll right into it. So you, because you're controlling multiple monsters, a move isn't the same in something like Clank as it is here. Here it's which character do I want to move? Which character mm -hmm. do I want to attack with? You know, and you have multiple options every time you're doing that. The other thing that it reminded me of is Marvel United because it's a game where you're basically playing very few symbols to do very basic mm. things, right? It's move, it's attack or or do, you know, one or two other things. This is the game that I almost wish Marvel United was. And I know people love Marvel <laughs> United, but to me, the only harder part about this than Marvel United is the setup time. Is a little bit more setup involved. And there's not much more as far as difficulty, I don't think, for playing. And it's not that bad. I mean, you're usually using the same room, so you just got to put them in the right arrangement, you know? Yeah, but I mean, beside that, like, I mean, you're basically playing cards. Now, obviously, Marvel United, you're only playing one card at a time. You only have a deck of three. So there are some differences, but for this... I, I feel like that's what Marvel United was going for was this tactical puzzle. And it was just much more satisfying here for me. I would necessarily say like the puzzle is better here, but 
I know my tastes lean toward doing like several things in combo and Marvel United, even though you're technically like comboing with each other, I guess, by giving icons, like you don't do a lot on your turn. <laughs> you know what I mean? On Marvel like, United. These turns, yeah, these turns feel like meaty and interesting and you have like multiple choices that are going on. Marvel United is like, I move two spaces and I punch that guy. Yes. Okay. Which is good. I mean, Marvel United certainly does not have a downtime problem. <laughs> I can say well, that. <laughs> I, I guess Marvel United feels like a distilled version of this. And I think for you sure. and me, I want the more meaty version. Um, yes. I, I would I would pick this 99 times out of 100 over Marvel United. That's for sure. And I don't hate Marvel United, but I definitely like this a lot more. Uh, so getting my final thoughts. You know, who is this game for? I think it's great for families. But yep. I think it's honestly, especially if you go to the higher difficulty levels and the harder scenarios, I think it's got more than enough meatiness for like gamer gamers. If you love deck building and you really want like sort of the engine building side of deck building, I still think you might enjoy this one. I just think certain factions will hit that kind of for you better. And it's not going to have as much diversity in kind of the deck building game to game. So that's uh, like Peter and yes. I both said, I wouldn't say that's the selling point. But if you like cool card play... Like Peter said, even if you don't build your deck at all, it's still like a cool game to play. Like they could take out the deck. Well, I wouldn't want them to take out the deck building entirely, but they could. And like the game would still work pretty well. Yeah. If, if you're if you're like into like faction variety and trying out different scenarios and like mixing and matching things, I think it works great. Again, I, I wouldn't personally recommend it like at the full four player count, unless maybe you want to try the uh, two teams with the official, uh, you know, sort of simultaneous like paired up thing. But I think this game is a ton of fun. I, I look forward to playing it more with my uh, my family, Just trying out the scenarios I haven't gotten to yet, playing uh, – maybe I'll try the defense uh, factions again, Peter, and see if I enjoy them more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was kind of a double win. And, you know, it probably sticks in my head more. You lost that last, game, didn't you? Well, so, so two things. The last <laughs> two games I played before I brought it to your house so we so I could teach it to you and I could leave it with my son, both of them I played the two defensive factions – both of them we lost, and both of them I was trying out that simultaneous variant. So I was drawing oh, three cards a turn. Yeah. And one or two of them were like sort of dead defense cards. I was like, ah, and sometimes it wouldn't attack me. And I'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I could see that being rough. I could see so, yeah, those so, factions so, so, not being good for the simultaneous variant. Yes. Yeah. So, I agree so, with so you, you know, maybe I am overstating it because it certainly was not as bad. Like the slimes I played in a regular game, and I had a lot of fun with them. You know, yeah, because so if you have an eight-card hand size, which you basically do, because you're going right. to spawn in the cell. I don't think there's one turn we didn't spawn in the cell. And I ju we just have one or two characters each in the cells and, like, kill whatever monster was there, then spawn there. So even if it was a wizard, worst-case scenario, yeah. we'd lose a character and then, like, move on with our happy day. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, every time when I was playing the slimes that I didn't have a defense card in my hand because I hadn't saved one, right? I was really sad I did it because I would get attacked and not and I would lose a slime instead of gaining one. So, right. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll walk back that a little bit. So yeah, I, I think this game is a ton of fun. Uh, we have a lot of videos of it in play. Colin did a playthrough, and then there's a couple on the streaming channel. So yeah. So I, I think I I strongly recommend this one for like most people that like tactical cooperative games or like deck builders. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this one. Yeah, so little uh, side question before we get into our design discussion. Matthew says, are you guys going to Gen Con this year? My first year, and I'm super excited. Matthew, that is the plan right now, although Gen Con has not gotten back to anybody but Colin and uh, said that he has a press badge. So I have no idea if we're getting our press badges or not. Last year, we did not get them, and we ended up going anyway, I believe, right? Was that Gen Con that didn't give us? 
press badges last yes, year? Yes, but I, I didn't go. So my plan was to potentially go for the first time this year. If I don't get a press badge, it's already tough for me to leave my family for that long. So that might, that might be the, the stake that stops me, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and last year, I mean, they said they were going to get back to me, and, well, I'm not going to get into all that again. Bottom line is, I'm not very happy with Gen Con and how they handled my press badge last year. Because they basically said, yeah, we'll get you one, and they never did. Which is what it is. So we'll see. Alright, so let's get into our discussion, which is different ways of deck building. Beside, well, I mean, we could go into the old school one. Like I said at the beginning, the old school was, you drew five cards, some of them were just money, uh, and you used those to buy stuff. What are some other cool methods that you've seen uh, beside that? Or I guess, do you want to talk about your thoughts on the old school? Yeah, yeah, let's start at the beginning, like with Dominion and that kind of stuff. So I do think there's pros and cons to this method. One, One of the big ones is in terms of choice and strategy, especially for like deck builders like Dominion that are basically an engine builder. You know what I mean? Like not all deck builders are engine builders. And I think people sometimes expect them all to be. Yep. But for ones like Dominion, where like you are literally comboing things together. If you're playing well, the fact that these cards become sometimes a detriment to your deck is kind of in some ways a feature yep. because it forces tougher choices. Like if you go too hard money, yes, you can buy those like eight cost cards that are crazy, but can you walk back or, have you given your opponent, there's mainly competitive uh, deck builders I'm talking about here, have you given your opponent too much of a tempo advantage in that they can buy like a bunch of quick stuff and kill you before like your big like money train comes home and like actually helps you out? You know, I mean, it's kind, it's kind of uh, akin to like a Magic the Gathering deck where you have like a lot of ways to get lands quickly, but they've already killed you with like their 10 goblin, you know, swarm deck or something. So there's that. I think also a big thing is that having them as cards in your deck, like you're purchasing cards being cards in your deck, gives you the ability to have diversity and purchasing power. Sure. If I get a card that gives me three money or four money, that is a huge difference between my deck and somebody else's. So I think uh, the method of having the purchasing cards in your deck leads to more variety between decks. You know what I mean? And like leads to more variety in builds <coughs> of decks. So I do think there are some positives that come out of it you know, even if it is frustrating that sometimes, like, your card is, it's just a card you don't care about, you know, or, like, you get past the point where you can buy stuff, or, like, the game's almost over, and even if you buy something, you won't be able to use it in time. So I think all of those are, like, potential negatives, but I see some pros there. How about you, Peter? How do you feel about, like, classic deck-building mode? Well, I would say I think the one that does it the worst, ironically, is Dominion. Now, I will say this fully saying that I probably haven't played any expansion past, like, the second one. So there have been like 50 expansions for Dominion, so maybe they fix it. But the reason I say that is when you look at Ascension, when you look at Puzzle Strike, when you look at these other games that use that same money is buying power, but like you said, it it blocks up your deck. Dominion didn't really have that because those money cards are always good because the whole point of Dominion is buying other stuff. With Ascension, Hero Realms, Star Realms, Puzzle Quest... You want to get fighty cards, and so whenever you're drawing a money card, you're not drawing fighting buying powder power. Um, and even uh, what's that solo game uses? It's a bag builder, but it's the same thing. Um, Warp's Edge. Warp's Edge. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Same thing. You want those fighty ones, so the money ones seem 
worse in some ways when you get them later in the game. Whereas Dominion, I always felt like I always wanted to get money, even in the latest turns of the game. So it never made me sad to get more. Now, yeah, you're, you're right. Dominion is not a great example for it. <laughs> um, but I, I do think where you've got that almost when do I switch from building my engine to trying to get victory, whether it's attacking or buying victory point cards or whatever else. I think a lot of those games have that interesting turning point where you're not buying money anymore. And I think that's where Dominion's a little different than a lot of those games. A lot of times Dominion, you like you're almost buying money early to build to ratchet that engine up. Yeah. With some of those other games, you have a hard choice between buying money or buying attacky cards or whatever else, and then you have to decide when to kind of switch. So they they're all interesting in their own ways. But to me, I think it's been done better in other things, and I also think it's yeah. been done worse in other things. So let's talk about some of the other methods we've seen. Yeah. So well, you mentioned Warp Edge, and this has something that I really enjoy. So Warp Edge does have. Well, you know, before I get into that, because Warp's Edge has this, but this kind of goes more to Aeon's End. I think before we even get away from the money in your deck thing, I think it is great to have money in your deck where it has multiple uses and it tends to be useful until the end of the game. You know what I mean? So Aeon's End lets you buy cards, but it also lets you charge up your superpower, which is never a bad thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like That's always great. Yep. It lets you uh, get your breaches open so you can cast more spells and do more damage. And uh, now in Astro Knights, which is delivering to people, which is like the retheme of uh, Aeon's End, um, it's, you can even buy... So the, the deck building side is kind of interesting in Astro Knights because you can buy the artifact cards and choose to immediately resolve them instead of putting them into your deck, which I think was first done in... Not Ascension. Maybe there was a mechanic like that in Ascension, but it was the other one. Shards of Infinity did that, where you can like buy cards but immediately use them, so that like when it's late game, it's still useful. Yep. Uh, Warp Edge. I, I know you use that as an example of like not wanting energy, but energy can recharge your shields. When you buy something with energy in Warp Edge, it goes into your bag to be used in the current wave of combat. So yep. even like in the final wave when you're about to fight the boss, buying a level three laser is great. <laughs> you know, like you might you might have wanted it earlier, but it's still a good thing. So yeah, I think other games have found ways to make money consistently useful and to give you choices with money, which is better than other deck builders where it's just like a finite thing. And like once you turn, it's a dead card to an extent. You know well, what I, I mean? I think Lost Ruins of Arnak does this as well, right? It's... um it also has the you add money to your deck but money can be used to defeat monsters there it can be used for other things so i think that's the big key is making it useful in multiple ways and even there you could use it for the top left travel ability right or or whatever as well so yeah i think that's part of the key if you're going to do money in your deck is make sure it is useful even late game you don't want money to go from the thing you're looking for early to a dead card later in the game, especially if people are spending resources and time early in the game to get that into their deck. You don't want to make any card you add to your deck really not useful later. But speaking of that, let's talk about other ways. So I guess Battle for Greyport was the first one I saw that did it really very differently from that old school. I mean, because even Clank, like you're you're buying from cards in your deck, so that oh, yeah. didn't change. No, Clank, Clank, I mean, Clank does give you other ways to spend the money, kind of, but not that many. So yes, well, no, but, I, I but you're say... still getting money from your deck. Well, yes, yes, yes. Whereas Battle for Greyport didn't have that at all. Basically, they said, "Hey, you get money, and at the end of every one of your turns, you're going to spend 
you get, you know, two bronze and two silver in the first round, and then it's uh, bronze, two silver, and a gold in the next round, and then it keeps leveling up. As you're leveling up, you get better and better money to buy these cards, but you're basically forced to buy a card after every round of combat with money that did not come from your deck at all. So that was very unique for me at the beginning. What are your thoughts on that? Because I don't think anybody's really repeated that. Yeah, I, I can't think of another one that uses that. I mean, I love the deck building. Now, the, <laughs> the actual cards you're buying aren't always the most exciting. So Grayport has like other weaknesses in terms of deck building. Sure. But the purchase method I adore. Yeah, you don't, you don't fill up your deck with stuff you don't want. You have really strong choice because you always have like, and, and it's a consistent growth because you're always getting the great cards near the end because that's when you have gold. You're always getting weaker cards at the beginning. So it like naturally gives that build up in a smooth way. Sure. The fact that even if you win faster, you still get to spend all your money that you have left anyway. So you don't get like punished. You like your, your tempo is never bad. Your deck never like doesn't get a chance to grow as much as you would like. No, I think Grayport's a uh, way of like using like separate coins is excellent. No, I, I don't really have any complaints about the actual coins. I mean, I except it's a really fun way to do it. My complaint is it's not that exciting, right? Like we, you yeah. Can, I, I mean, the one thing it does great for me is it controls the amount of leveling you get each time. Yeah. But the worst part for me is that it controls the amount of leveling that you get each time. And so you're building up in this very consistent way. And the one negative to Grayport for me is like, I'm like, do I need to do three rounds of this? Can I just deck build the first two rounds and maybe lose a couple of life and then just play the third round? You know what I mean? It To me, that's the only real negative of it. It, it feels like it's, it's almost too forced. It's too yeah. consistent. That is a big, like, bonus. Games that have money in your deck can have vast differences in card powers, too. Yes. Like, there's nothing in Keep the Heroes Out that's, like, the 10-cost mega card. There's nothing right. in Battle for Great. Well, I mean, there kind of is with the gold cards, like the later ones you get. Yep. But, yeah, like, in Ascension, when you get, like, you know, let's go back to the original, like, first set. When you get that 8-cost cannon that makes every one of your other artifacts, like, give you plus one attack, and you're doing, like, 50 attack every turn... That feels incredibly awesome. <laughs> so yes. You're right. So uh, I guess like a lot of these other methods tend to even out the power level of cards, whereas giving you the option to go crazy with economy also gives you the option to include very expensive cards in the mix. Well, and you you have to get lucky too, right? Because if you bought even the highest coin cost cards, you may never be able to afford an eight or a 10. Well, cost. unless it's Aeon's end and you get to control your discard pile. That's true. Extent. So there's that <laughs> as well. So that's part of it as well. Aeon's end does money a little differently because it can even combo. Like even though it's, it's cards in your deck, because you control the way those cards come through your deck, you can put combos together so they could have stuff like if this is played with another card of its same type, yeah. Double the income or whatever else. So they can do cool stuff like that, which makes those coin cards even more interesting, I guess, as as you get further in. Yeah. Uh, so there's Battle for Grayport. I think, again, pros and cons. I think it, it levels you up in a controlled way. And if you want to keep the cone of possibilities, as it were, for difficulty yeah. uh, smaller, you can definitely do that. So, well, there's, uh, so let me jump in with Warp's Edge because I'd kind of started and stopped okay. with that Okay, yeah, one. go for it. So both Warp's Edge in part, because as we've said, it has energy, which is like a currency in your bag, but it also has you killing enemies to gain tokens, which is what you need to be doing anyway. 
And then Heroes of Tenefer, so you might see these are my favorites, so clearly I like this mechanic. Um, <laughs> Heroes of Tenefer has the same thing, where when you defeat enemies, you flip them and they become a deck in your uh, or like card in your deck. Yeah, so, and then uh, the newest, uh, funny enough, the newest Greyport expansion also has this, where like a certain type of enemy, when you defeat them, they become like a little uh, extra card in your deck. So this, I think, is really cool. Well, let me what talk the about I the love game best? you don't like it in, though. Oh. Dragonfire? Is that how it worked in Dragonfire? I'm I thought you had an sure offer of cards you would buy. As you killed something, you got cards. Because remember, it would be a situation where you couldn't kill stuff, and it would be like a death spiral. Oh. Yeah, well, that, that, that game's not good. But uh, but good <laughs> games. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, what's funny is I have Shadowrun Crossfire like behind me. I copied the Colin Sense. I got to play it at some point. Because some people have said they like it better than Dragonfire. Same basic system. I think like a lot Jack. of people are saying that from what I've heard. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so Warp's Edge, here's a Tenefer. What I love about that is that it's what you're doing anyway, and then you feel awesome because you get a reward. You know, it, it kind of goes back to, like, that, that fun dungeon crawler feel. Like, you defeat the goblins, and then you get to open the treasure chest they were guarding and get, like, you know, the, the mail of awesomeness that was uh, hiding inside. So, yeah, like, in Warp's Edge, when I kill these people, first of all, it gives interesting choices. In yep. Warp's Edge, more than here's a Tenefer. Tenefer yes. is very, like... Happy go lucky. Whoops, <laughs> you you got something you didn't need at all. So on the positive side, like I like that it it gives more oomph to what you're doing anyway. And you don't have that as much as I can like the strategic uh, choice of when to switch. You don't have a switch here. In attaining your goal, you are getting awesomer and awesomer automatically in a fun way. Tenefer does show the potential negative where you can be forced to get cards that don't necessarily combo with your other stuff well. Now, they did a good thing of giving you tons of ways to call cards and give them to other players. So I've never really had much of a problem of having a card I didn't want in my deck. But certainly the mechanic of killing things and being forced to take something from them can be negative if you don't have that. Like, Greyport actually does have you getting sometimes too many of these items, and I didn't want them. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? With the uh, the upcoming expansion. Well, the other so, thing that I think... I think the thing that those two games do well and figured out that... Dragonfire and Crossfire didn't, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm pretty sure I am, though. Um, and honestly, we were designing a game where you level up, and we were experimenting with killing enemies, leveling you up. And the negative we found is that it can become a cycle. And we saw that, again, I think that was the way it worked in Dragonfire as well, where like if you couldn't kill something, you got weaker and weaker because you weren't deck building at the level they were expecting you to. So it's almost like a double whammy. Yeah. And when you're killing everything, it almost becomes like Zombicide, where like you become this more and more powerful. Like as you level up more, you become more and more powerful, and you could out level everybody else. So I think there's a little bit of that involved as well. What they did really well in Warp says, well, first of all, it's solo, so you're not going to have that problem. But yes, it could it could spiral one way or another. But the interesting part there is they go into your deck, same with Tenefer, and the deck is like a timer for the round in both of those games. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Um, so, so I think that is part of what makes those games good is getting a deck is or getting a card in your deck is almost never bad in them because it increases yeah, your time. Yeah, because you always have more time. You're right. That's a great point. That is a really great point. Yeah. In Tenefer, worst case, you just draw again if you get like that card that doesn't you know work too well. <laughs> Exactly. So I think Dune Imperium is the next one on that I can think of that does something completely different. And that's... Yeah, that one is really cool. 
every card is useful for something. And if you don't use it, you get money on the bottom. Right. Which, like, so do I use it for the super cool ability? So it's like multi-use cards, which I love and have loved in games for years. But they, they put that in a deck builder. It's like, okay, you want money to buy cards? You can't use your cool cards during your turn. And then they turn into money. Every card turns into money. So Yeah, and I, th- I think that's great because they're not dead cards. They're not useless cards. Yep. It is a choice to make. You know, and every if you want to have a big buying round, you don't play almost anything. If you want to have a low black buying round, then you play a ton of stuff. So yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's a really great system. And honestly, that might be my favorite. And I've only played that game once because I didn't like a lot of the other stuff going. Well, honestly, <laughs> it was just a combat round. I didn't really like with that game. Like the the area control thing. The rest of the stuff, I don't know. I, I need to get back and play that one. And I hear the expansions make that one much better, too. So when we're at a con, too. we're going to have to check it out of the library and try it with uh, with all the expansions and stuff. Because I, I definitely want to try that one again. Another one that I'll compare, Renegade. Did you ever play Renegade, Peter? I did. So Renegade, the Ricky Royal one, which I guess is coming out under a new name. And then I would even kind of put Keep the Heroes out in this place, where... I think they do a similar thing to do an Imperium in that it's multi-use cards. So in doing Imperium, the cards you don't play become your buying. Yep. And keep the heroes out. The points, in a way, the points you don't use to do all the other stuff you can do with them become the actions you use to get the resources to buy. You know, it's not quite the same, but it's still like you can use these cards for some things or you can use them to buy stuff. And then um, Renegade, if I remember correctly, lets you trade in cards from your hand to get new cards from like the offer. But I think you have to like have certain colors. God, it's been a while since I played it, but I think that's how it works. So like any card, instead of using it for its power can be used to get new cards. And an awesome thing about Renegade is that it immediately goes into your hand. Your deck always stays the same size. That's a different conversation, but I love that. So I think there's lots of variations of multi-use cards, Renegade, Dune Imperium, keep the heroes out. I'll do it in kind of a way, but I think it's, I, I think you're right. It's a great way to do it. It kind of splits the difference. Because, like, Dune Imperium, I might buy a card because it has great pi- buying power at the bottom. Sure. But it doesn't mean that's what I'm going to use it for. You know what I mean? Like, just the option to do something else with it is a, a neat choice. And, and I appreciate that. Yes. Um, and I think, like, you know, other deck builders have played with that kind of thing. Like, I think, God, it's been a while, but I think there's at least one, like, Crystal and Aeon Zen that could be, like, cast as a spell instead. You know, like, in one of the yes. player, like, mages yep. decks or something. Like, that, that kind of either or is immediately more interesting and engaging and maybe yes. you don't need it every time. Maybe it doesn't need to be the core mechanic of a game, but I think it's a great thing to aim for in your deck builders. You know? Yeah. So I think that might be my favorite one, honestly, which is the, if you don't play it for this, you can use it for money because mm-hmm. it kind of takes that age old question of is buying money good later in the game. Well, everything you're buying is money, but everything you're buying is also <laughs> something cool. And it lets you kind of draft away from people too, right? Maybe I'm not doing a Benny Jesuit strategy, but I'm going to buy that Benny Jesuit card because I know I can always use it for purchasing power later yeah, on. Yeah, that's a good point. Which also makes it infinitely more interesting. So yeah, that's one we played we didn't love again. But the, the more I think about it, that deck building might be my favorite deck building method. And the thing is, that's a super easy mechanic to port over to most of the games we're talking oh, about. Any if they game wanted could to. do that. Yeah, yeah like absolutely. Basic, like right now. <laughs> yep. I mean, don't get me wrong. It would definitely change things a lot because you wouldn't have the swivel we were talking about. Uh, another one I want to introduce, Peter, just... Well, yeah, I got three really, more. So oh, You got three more? All right, well, let me do a quick one then. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, this is one that I know you we both enjoy, and it does have a solo mode now with the uh, expansion that came out, uh, Core Worlds. So Core Worlds does have purchasing. It has energy that you spend to buy cards. Yep. But number one, that energy comes from primarily, you do have a few cards that generate energy, but it comes primarily from the planets you've conquered. So it's not in your deck. Yep. But then the other thing is, you know, kind of go back to Aeon's End and Choices, the energy you're spending to buy cards is also the energy you're spending to play cards, is also the energy you're spending yep. to initiate the invasions you need to get more planets, to get more energy to buy cards next time. So I think Core Worlds has, first of all, a cool thing in that the purchasing power doesn't come from your deck. It is things that you have, like, conquered and built up, and kind of you get a, a natural mana progression usually in the game, you know, kind of like Magic Gathering or Hearthstone or something. But then on top of that... Again, like the choices, like Aeon's End, so many ways to use your energy, and when do you want to buy, and when do you not? I think, I think that's a great, like, kind of mix of two things for a cool deck builder. There. Well, I totally spaced on that one because I one of the ones I had thought of while just thinking about this now was our our game that hasn't come out yet, the game Flame and Fang, where you're playing as a dragon, you're gathering resources through these gather actions, and you're playing them from a player board. So. But those resources can also be used for other things. So again, it's not multi-use cards, but it's multi-use resources that you're gathering. But that is very similar to Core Worlds. I was thinking that was the first one that did it. But no, you're right. Core Worlds kind of had a similar mechanic where you're gathering resources through something else. In this uh, instance, conquering planets to then spend later on to do something else. So, And and honestly, I feel like our game uh, is kind of similar to Keep the Heroes Out because you have an action... That gets you a resource, like puts it on the board. Now, in this case, keep the heroes out. The point is the variable choice thing. Whereas for us, once you have the resource, the resource itself becomes a variable choice thing of how you use it. But I think that one's kind of similar to what we're doing with Flame and Fang, too. Well, the the difference being, and this is my negative for the way um, Keep the Heroes Out does it, and why I think it's not a great deck building game. You have to spend a lot of resources to... yeah. Not only get Moving it there and back, but you have to move and then turn it in. The only faction I really did it a lot with was the um the last one I used. They were like the kobolds or whatever, where they yeah. had a two arrows and a move, so or fingers, whatever the clicks is what we call them. So you'd like click to spawn something, move. And then click to turn it in. You could do that mm-hmm. with one card. So with that character, I deck built a lot. But a lot of characters, like the dragon, they don't, they didn't have very many finger points at all. So there's no way yeah. I was deck building with that. I mean, and their movement. Now, when, when I played with too. the da- dragon, uh, Harrison, like uh, when Harrison was the dragon, I would get him resources. Like that was the only way it would work. And then he would just use the clicks to uh, to actually get the deck build. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's one of the coolest, the cooler parts of the game. But I don't know. For me, it was. Especially that first mission. I think they did the worst job on the first mission. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> where they separated, like, because some of the missions, they'd have the two rooms right next to each other, and it's not a problem. Don't get me wrong. Once you get a teleporter or, you know, portals everywhere, you could teleport. It made it much easier. But the way to get the portals in that, you had to put a lot of effort into moving from one room to the other room just to get that first portal maker then once you'd made portals and you could put them on those two different rooms it was fine because it's one move to get back and forth but yeah i mean for me there was just especially if you were going to play that game at higher difficulties there was no way you had enough actions 
to both deck build in an interesting or conscious way, right? Because that's yeah. part of it also. Part of the fun part about deck building games is you build it, you're making this conscious choice to really get this thing that's going to help you out. A lot well, of times. It depends. Again, I think that's whether the deck builder leans more engine building or not. Like Tenefer, you sure. make almost no decisions and it's still the freaking best. Well, that's <laughs> you know true. what I mean? All right. Touche. Touche. <laughs> uh, but no, well, no, you even in Tenefer, you're looking for certain combos. And don't get me wrong, keep the heroes out, you are too. I just feel like similar to Tenefer, you kind of luck into it sometimes. It's like, okay, sure. yes, I'm going to this place anyway. So let me go ahead and click and, you know, grab this book to carry along with me while I'm going anyway. But yeah, I don't know. That, that, to me, is one of the weaker ways of deck building. Oh, we forgot about studying Emerald. Oh, gosh. I never played that. How do you deck build in that? So you're going to locations to deck build, but then you're putting influence on the locations. I don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember enough about it, but that was very different as well. So that's something, if you're looking to make a deck builder, that was very unique in the way it did it. Um, but I well, and Another one that's not out yet. Oh, gosh. What's it called? It's a superhero deck builder, and we played it on TTS on the channel. I backed it. Uh, anyway, whatever the game is called, <laughs> Steve's going to remember and like yell at me later for forgetting because he backed that one too. So you would oh, deck the one build where you're with... running around to the town and the different yeah. locations. Oh, I yeah. remember that one. I don't know what it was called, but I don't remember yeah, either. Yeah, so, so there are cards literally on the tiles. So it has kind of a spatial element, like keep the heroes out, but the cards are like, literally, if you go to this part of town, this card is available for you to get. And you're purchasing them. Like, I think you were still buying them. So you but, still had like purchasing cards in your hand, but then you also had unique cards for your hero that if I remember correctly, you would spend experience you got from like defeating enemies and completing quests yep. to buy those. And they only came from your heroes, like unique decks, you would always be able to combo with them. So there you got like kind of a defeat enemies to get stuff system but at the same time you got this whole like buying things but with the wrinkle added that you have to go to the location to get it so i thought that one was like really neat on multiple levels for the deck but i'm gonna try to look it up while you talk peter and <laughs> we like, forgot thunderstone does that too thunderstone you're yeah. leveling up the heroes in your deck as well by buying experience oh, yeah, yeah, coins yeah. Call, stuff like that too so yeah i mean there are, i mean I thought coming into this discussion, because I didn't write down a list, but uh, I didn't think there were going to be as many neat things, but there certainly have been. So the other, only other one I want to talk about, and I don't really have great knowledge of this one because I only played it once as a prototype, but was uh, G.I. Joe the deck building game. Again, yeah. did it very differently because wasn't it every card you played had a purchasing power on the bottom? And then... yes you got that power for playing cards. So you're almost encouraged to play more cards to get more purchasing power. So that yeah, was it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's kind of like the dude Imperium system, except without the choice. <laughs> well, well, but it was the opposite, right? Like it's, if you play the card, you get it where Dune Imperium, you have to consciously choose not to play the card. So I, yes. I, I feel like that is the, uh, I love TC. I'm sorry, TC. I feel like that is the weakest of the deck building uh, mechanisms. Well, no, we I, about today? I don't think I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. Okay. I, I don't love the GI Jones, GI Jones, GI Joe game. Um, I've only played it a little bit though. I think the fact that you're still getting to do both could be a positive play experience. 
and I do remember when I was playing that game, I would buy cards that had better purchasing power, but it was cool that they also helped me complete my missions and weren't just a buying card. You know what I mean? So I, I think it was still some now, did they, in that system. I, I'm sure TC's a good designer, so I'm sure he did do this. Did he make it so that weaker cards had more buying power? I'm sure he did. Well, they would go different ways. Like right. an expensive card might be mainly for its buying power. and Just, just like doing Imperium, you know, like some of those, yeah. you're really buying that for its money, but every once in a while you're going to use it for its other things. So yeah, I, I remember that being better even though I don't like that game, I don't remember the deck buildings part of it being like the part that I complained about. It was like the missions and the die rolling <laughs> that pissed me off in that game. Well, yeah, the die rolling is what I remember the most about that game. Um, yeah, you know, when you, I think you miss on two thirds of the faces or half. <laughs> that's that's a choice. It's definitely a choice. Uh, yes. When the dies, that's the entire like be all end all of what happens in that game. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I'm actually surprised we came up with as many different ways to to do the deck building part of a deck builder game as we did. Because we, we've talked about deck building many times in the past. But, like, you don't think about all the different methods just for adding cards to your hand. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and again, like, everything we're saying we love might not be right for your game. You know well, that's I mean? the like, key. It's picking the right one. And I, right. I think we've is, shown... Is your game a choice-based, like, strategic experience, or is it a seat-of-your-pants fun experience? You know, sometimes it's okay to be like, I got three money in my hand. I'm buying that three card. My turn is done. <laughs> like that, that has its place. That could be, like, maybe the perfect system if your game is supposed to be a little bit quicker and not have as many decisions on each player's turn. You know, like, that's 100% fine, I think. Yes. Did you ever figure out the name of that superhero game, by the way? Oh, uh, oh it's, like, it's like the name of the town. I'm looking at kick, our Kickstarter previews to see if I can come oh, up. Oh, wait, with I backed it. it. Hold on. Keep, keep, keep talking about something. Keep talking. Because I, I did back the game. So that's probably the fastest way. I'm looking through my Kickstarter backed projects that are right. delivered. <laughs> that's, I, I, I love that game, it. too, by the way. Because that game did not fund the first time through, right? Correct. And people are probably yelling at us in the chat. I'm not even looking. Neither of us are looking at the chat right now. You look at the chat while I look through this. Because we're both trying to figure out the name of it. Why wasn't it why isn't it on Kickstarter previews for us? It was a while ago. It was. It is Union it, City Alliance. There you go. Union City Alliance. How's that game doing? What's the most recent update say? That game was that super game. fun. I, I'm shocked at how game, fun, good that game was. And the difference for me is, yes, you wanted to go to certain locations to buy certain cards, but you didn't have to get the money somewhere else. So that's why it felt better for me than... Well, no, I, th- I think you did have to... Yeah, you had, like, money was one of the resources. I mean, they didn't call it money, but there is money in your hand that you were playing. Like, that's one of the resources you get. Sure, and I guess if you go to a location and you don't have the money in your hand at the time you're at the location, that could be frustrating, but... Um... But, but I would only move to locations when I had the right money. And the <laughs> thing is, there's so much other stuff to do on locations, like punching guys and stuff that... But yeah, uh, here we go. As of January 3rd, Peter, the game is done. It is off to the printers. Nice. All caps. Off to the printers. That is... How long ago did I back this? <laughs> it was only a year or so ago, right? I mean, the channel... I think, I think it was longer than The that. streaming channel is only two years old, so it had to be... Well, I don't think it... Maybe it wasn't on the streaming channel. Yeah, no, we definitely played it on the streaming channel. We definitely played it on the streaming okay. channel. Okay. Multiple, multiple times on the streaming channel, in fact. I remember there was weeks where Steve would play it multiple times and then you and i played it um so yeah steve loved that game and i really liked it too so yeah no i i thought and i i only got to play like two scenarios and this must be a bunch so you know i'm 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 not always excited for things i backed and i partially backed it because i wanted the game to fund and i know it was having like some trouble at first i'm, I'm glad it's gonna actually it's gonna happen it's gonna happen mike it's gonna happen <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, we've taken enough of these people's uh, time tonight, but uh, thanks. Yeah. So keep the heroes out. It was a good one. We both liked it. Oh, yeah. Certainly family weight, but I think you can ratchet it up enough to make it interesting for gamers. And with all I the mean, different- unless you're Mike, and then you'll never win at anything, even like slightly. <laughs> well, just I, I like how you made your own difficulty level, just like <laughs> so that it was challenging for you, but not too challenging. Uh, that wor- that works, Mike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, uh, Union City Alliance, March twenty seventh, twenty twenty one. So it will be over two years. But hey, it's it's only like a I think it's only the one guy doing almost everything. So. That's how yeah. it goes sometimes. I'm, I'm just happy I mean, that, that they're going to finish. 2021 was the first real full year of the streaming channel. We started like December of 2020 or something like that. But really the first year we did it was uh, 2021. So yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it was, it was one of our earlier ones that we covered. Interesting deck building. Lots of different ways to deck build. And I'm decking out of here. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, listening or watching. Have a good night. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I want to buy some stuff. You just did. I you just bought, bought mosaic. Mosaic. Yeah. Stop yes. calling it mosaic. What is <laughs> Peter, if, if the stream is still running, Peter has called this game mosaic. I don't know like why. I know times. how to every say mosaic. Like, I don't know why I'm calling mosaic. And then I like, do. I say mosaic every time. It's a thing. <laughs>